So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. In this uh, two-step economic situation we're in, there are people struggling with just the basics of life, even having enough food to eat, worried about where they're going to be able to live and all that as they've experienced extreme economic hardship and job loss, while others continue to work, have benefits potentially, and nothing really has changed for their financial equation, except maybe it's gotten a little better. Well, a friend was uh, driving by just a couple days ago while I was out walking and stopped to talk to me and told me that she and her husband had just been on a driving vacation and that they went to a beach that was about five hours away and what a nice time they had. And she mentioned, you know, but I still have weeks of vacation that I'm never going to get to use this year. And I thought about this because I talked about it like, I don't know, four or six weeks ago, how people who have benefits at work and have vacation generally have not been using it. And, you know, there's a burnout with that. And maybe you had planned some kind of great trip you were going on and that has fallen through because of the pandemic. But most employers have use it or lose it rules for vacation. And if you're working week after week after week, day after day, I mean, there are people who are underemployed right now or unemployed who aren't crying a river for you because you got that good job and that steady paycheck. But at the same time, you have that benefit and you should take advantage of it. Even if it means a staycation, you got to clear your head. I am so into, gosh, I must be European at heart because the Europeans know how to take their vacations. They don't ever leave a day of vacation on the table and they get a minimum six weeks a year of paid vacation. Not so much here in the U.S., but I want you to look at the calendar because you don't have a lot of weeks left in the year. And whether you drive to the mountains or, uh, you know, drive to a lake or you're near enough to an ocean or whatever, go take some time for yourself. And if it means even just leaving the vehicle right in your own driveway and you just take time off from work and you have autoresponder on your email saying you're on vacation till such and such a day, don't be tempted to look at them. Leave them alone. Do something for yourself. I guarantee you, you are a better employee for who you work for if your mind is clear and fresh than if every single day you are working. And I, I find that, and Kim and Joel can both verify when I come back from vacation, I'm grumpy that first day. <laughs> true, true. Come on, be a little, honest. A little true. I, I personally believe that you're happy the first day and you're grumpy the second day. <laughs> but I'm really, really sharp. 
That is on true. the mic when yeah. I come back. Truth. Because my head's been clear and and I I don't have all this junk. I, you know, I, I've I've been able to reboot the computer. I want <laughs> your computer to reboot. And I don't want you forfeiting vacation because it's just not healthy for you. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at Clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. And Kim, you're up first. Right. And by the way, inquiring minds want to know. Somebody asked me, why does Kim always get to go first? So Seniority. Why, why? Oh, yes. Well, that makes sense. We have known each other longer. It's true. All right, Sorry, the, Joel. <laughs> That's okay. Byron in Kentucky wants to share something with you. He says, I recently had the opportunity to go visit the Grand Canyon and four national parks in Utah. While I was there, I had a life-altering experience. I had my first double-double from In-N-Out Burger. Since our family hasn't crossed the Mississippi yet, what's the closest alternative you found in this region? And once again, he's from Kentucky. He says it could get rather expensive to satisfy my craving from so far away. No, it's so worth it. You just get in your vehicle and you go to either Dallas or Austin. So, I mean, Texas is great to visit. It's a, a new trip for you, a new place to go. And both of them have In-N-Out Burger. And you can have the double experience because usually directly across the street from every In-N-Out Burger that exists in Texas, there will be a Whataburger, which is another great burger experience from your gourmet burger consumer, Clark. And I'm so glad you got to go to the canyon, Grand Canyon and those parks that I love, love, love in the state of Utah. Joel? Clark Ethan in Washington says, I have several individual stocks that I purchased in the last 10 years as an experiment in trading that have not performed particularly well. They're down roughly 20 to 80%. And my strategy has been to just hold them and see if they recover over time. But with the stock market at all-time highs and the potential for another big pullback, should I instead dump these losers and take the big hit to their value? I'm not relying on them for current income, but would hate to see their value continue to plummet. When is holding for the long term no longer a good idea? And although other stocks have done well, I've definitely learned the lesson that Clark preaches regularly. Broad, diversified holding of many different companies is the way to go. Well, I appreciate that. And it's all part of learning. And if you have some gains that you want to take before the year's out, you uh, sell a gain you offset it with the losses from these 10 or 12 stocks, and it means that the gains from the, the ones that you've had the nice gains from flow to you tax-free because you are able to harvest the losses on the losers and the gain from a winner and have the losses cancel out those gains as a tax-free event. So you're able to clear the decks, Get that money. You can then put it in your widely diversified index funds or whatever, and you will not have generated any tax bill whatsoever. And that's an assumption on my part that these are in a taxable account and not an IRA. If they're in an IRA, people have a tendency to hold on to losers just hoping, hoping, hoping that they're eventually going to become winners 
look at what's going on with those individual companies and if you don't see a bright story with several or all of them you dump them even if they're in an ira you dump them you have that money you reinvest it kim Linda in New York says, I've been trying for months to get a refund from a hearing aid company. I returned the hearing aids back in April, and since then they keep telling me my refund is in the queue, but it's not happening yet. Their guarantee says that refunds should take 30 to 45 days. I understand it's COVID times, but it is well past that. They have the hearing aids. I don't have my money. Do you know how to work your way up in a company like this to get a resolution? So I wish you'd asked me sooner because you, if you paid by credit card, you would have had dispute rights with your credit card since you're not in possession of the hearing aids. Go ahead and try that anyway because um, if you did pay by credit card dispute, in the meantime, the credit card company will send an inquiry to the hearing aid company. Regardless, they may come back after they've done that and say, unfortunately it's too late for you to dispute this but you have a chance that simply by doing the dispute the hearing aid company will turn around and do the refund the reason for it is a company like a hearing aid company doing expensive transactions doesn't want to be put into a penalty box of having additional holdback money held by their merchant processor too many disputes triggers an alarm for the merchant processor and then they hold back more funds from in this case the hearing aid firm so that's a potentially powerful tool for you to dispute the other thing i'd do is go to bbb.gov and file a complaint against the company at the better business bureau website did i say gov i mean bbb.com apologize for that and um, the bbb will send through an inquiry to the hearing aid firm, and maybe that will shake loose your refund as well. Let me know how you do. Joel? Clark Michael in Georgia says, I'm looking at a credit card to rebuild my credit, but it's got a really high annual fee of $75 or something, $99. Yeah, he says, yikes, is this the way to go? No, <laughs> definitely not. No, any, any card like that that's a secured card or whatever it says it rebuilds, that's somebody taking advantage of your situation. Uh, there are a few things you should do. First, see if you can qualify for the PETAL card, P-E-T-A-L card. Um, they don't use traditional scoring models, and they may or may not approve you, but if they do, no annual fee, no application fee, you get a traditional Visa card. Uh, the more likely route is to go to a credit union then generally credit unions have what's known as a fresh start program. They may not use that term. That's kind of a brand and a generic term as well, where a credit union will issue you a traditional Visa or MasterCard, low limit card, no annual fee. They may require that you have a savings account at the credit union at, with a certain amount of money in it, but then you're not getting taken advantage of by one of these outfits promising for people with no or bad credit that they'll issue you a card and all they do is fee you to death. Kim? Mark in Ohio says, Clark, my sister passed away and left me her house. Oh, I'm so sorry about the loss of your sister. It's paid for and there's no mortgage, but it's only in fair to poor condition. 
As the executor of her her estate, I want to take out a HELOC for $25,000 to renovate the home, but I have a poor personal FICO score. Can I get a HELOC with a score around 550? It would be a very ugly one with really bad terms because the possibility is if the value of the home greatly exceeds what you'd need in a HELOC, you may be able with a um, uh, the advice of a mortgage broker to be able to find potentially a private investor who would be willing to, at a higher than market interest rate, make a short-term loan to you that would uh, you would be able to use to do the improvements you need to the property. You also may have an ability to do so maybe through the FHA. I'm thinking about the FHA loan program that allows you to do improvements to a property um, without having to have a very high credit score. Good luck with that. And if any listeners have suggestions for this, please let us know. Heidi is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Heidi. How are you doing? Hello, Clark Howard. I really want to geek out over you, but my son told me not to embarrass myself. Okay, that's funny. I love that. So let's just say I really like you. Thank you very much. (laughs) And uh, I am so impressed that your daughter was in a position where she scholarshiped out of half of her college? Yeah, she got uh, a $40,000 scholarship her junior and senior year of college. So she graduated that free, and she had 10000 left over in her 529 plan. What a deal. Now, who owns the 529? Do you actually own it with her as the yes. beneficiary? Yes, exactly. And any chance your daughter's going to go to grad school? I don't know. I, well, a year ago, she had a she got married and had a baby, and so we've just been letting it sit there, thinking maybe we could pass it down to her son. But we have three boys who will be attending college next year, and we don't want it to negatively affect our um, FAFSA application. It will, it, w- it will make such a little difference on the FAFSA. Don't worry about that. Okay. You said it's ten grand. Yes. It'll, it'll make... So little difference that that would not be a consideration. So you've got so many choices what you can do. you got three more kids to educate, and you made that commitment to her. You got her through, and you've got a grandbaby who's not going to need college for, uh, gosh, a generation almost, but you got three boys that need it now or soon, okay. right? Well, yeah, but we were kind of just hoping to give it to her because we have stuff set aside for them, too. Wow. Um, This is fantastic. So So you can just change the designated beneficiary to your grandbaby. Okay. Okay. Keep it in mind. And and as far as as affecting any of your son's uh, financial picture for college... Since even though you own it, but the beneficiary is a whole nother family member, I'm trying to remember, but I don't think that will affect uh, any of your boys through the FAFSA process. Okay. Because only if, the, I- only if your son was named as the beneficiary would that then even minorly affect 
the financial aid okay. formula under the FAFSA. All right. Can I ask you another quick question, related question? Of course. My mom has dementia. I know your mom had it, too. Um, but she and my dad moved in with, with me and my husband about a month ago. And on one of the questions on the FAFSA report was if we have any other people living with us. Can we write them down as people living with us? I mean, we're not claiming them on our taxes or anything like that. Yeah, but they're living under your roof. They're eating food out of your refrigerator and that kind of stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, so they're, they're a household expense. Yes, I would list them. So, um, and I think it's wonderful. I mean, you are such a family person. You're taking care of everybody. Good for you. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And that's what we're about. This is something where we all learn together. Knowledge can be power. And I want you to be in control of your life and your financial future. That's why it's so important that the information, the advice, the guidance, the opinions you hear from me ring true and accurate to you and are actionable in your life. Well, when you hear me say something in answer to a question or in something I say that just isn't right in your opinion or incomplete, or unhelpful, I want you to go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and let me know. And then weekly, producers Kim and Joel will go through your posts on Clark Stinks and share highlights right here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Alrighty, Clark Howard. First up today, this is from Jonathan, as well as many, many others. Jonathan says, when asked how to make sure loved ones have access to account information after passing on, you recommended an old fashioned word document. P.U. This is the second time I've heard you give this advice and it stinks. There's a much better solution with password managers. For example, LastPass has emergency access. It allows you to set up a trusted user to have access to your account in case of an emergency. If they try to access your information from the system, you'll get a notification that allows you during a set period of time to deny them access. This prevents the service from being used nefariously. Once the window has passed and access has not been denied, the emergency contact will then be given full access. And other people who wrote in about this wanted to point out some other suggestions. Um, Other reputable password managers have been suggested like Bitwarden, which is free, and 1Password, which I think is recommended by the New York Times. Also, people recommended Facebook Legacy, Google Inactive Account Manager, and LinkedIn, Snapchat, Tumblr, and Twitter all have similar things. Lastly, someone wanted to point out that you recently talked about a company called Cake, and they believe that they have a similar service. I love all of these suggestions, and it's one of those cases where I will forget something I've talked about in the past, which obviously I have about all the password managers. I've talked about cake, as you mentioned. And so my answer 
was really inadequate. And I want to thank all of you who came forward with suggestions and comments in this area. It's very important that you take your own advice and make sure that loved ones are able to gain access to your accounts because you never know what or when might take us out of the game. Joel? Clark, this one comes from Eric. He says, please clarify your recent advice that donating a used vehicle to a public radio station has no valuable tax benefit. Does this assume the caller will not itemize deductions? Doesn't the donation qualify as an itemized deduction up to their those limits? Oregon Public Broadcasting refers donors to an IRS publication, 4303, uh, a donor's guide to vehicle donations. I donated a vehicle years ago, and the process was really simple. By the way, thanks for years of great advice. Thank you very much. So the car thing did change, and the IRS was dealing with, at one time, a lot of abuse on people's parts about donating vehicles and taking a, a donation, a tax write-off, a charitable donation write-off, far greater than the actual value of the vehicle. So the IRS came up with a draconian solution that unless the value of the vehicle is ultimately documented, uh, that your charitable deduction is limited to $25. And so you've got to make sure that if you do donate to Oregon Public Radio or any other organization, that they have a solid procedure in place to give you a value that may involve either what they got for it selling the vehicle later or a professional appraisal that was done to establish a true fair market value for the vehicle that you were donating so that the charitable contribution deduction that you're able to make is a meaningful value to you. Kim? Molly says, I'm sure I'm not the only personal finance nerd who listens to you and caught that you missed a major point about the benefits of HSAs. Recently, you had a question from someone who wasn't sure about dipping into their HSA to pay for $14,000 in dental work. If a person has an HSA and they can afford to pay out of pocket, then it may be in their best interest to do so. But it is crucial that they save the receipts for all of these payments. That way, at any future time, even in retirement when the money has had time and many, many years to grow, you could reimburse yourself with the money from the HSA. This is a little hack that I learned from the FIRE movement. And what you say is 100% correct, and it's something that I almost never mention because somebody's ability to keep records for uh, potentially decades Uh, Most people are not great at that, but I should not make that assumption about someone I'm talking to, and I should, in fact, in a situation like that, mention it, and I thank you for doing so. Joel? This one's from Phil. He says, on a recent recent show, you said, the one downside to using a Roth to pay for college was missing out on a state tax deduction. I think the biggest downside, and a point not mentioned, is you're most likely shortchanging your retirement. Most people with kids in college are in their late 40s, 50s, and early 60s, peak earning years um, when they need to be adding lots of money to their retirement accounts and not pulling it out. Kids can always borrow for college, but it isn't nearly as easy to borrow for retirement. Oh my goodness, you just about word for word stated one of my common phrases that I've used through the years, and that is that there's only one way to pay for retirement, and that's you 
there are many ways to pay for college and work, loans, things like that, completely true. And so here's the challenge that I face. I say always your first responsibility is to save for your own retirement. Until you're maxing out saving for your own retirement, you shouldn't put a penny in a 529 plan. I also have to respect and understand there are people who knowingly harm their own future retirement prospects because they so badly want to put money towards a kid's college. And what you say is completely right. And I also have to respect that there are people who, even though it is a better choice to uh, go to a cheaper college or even for the student to borrow money than to take money from someone's retirement, the reality, the dynamic in a lot of families is they're going to put a higher priority on putting money towards a kid's college than they are towards their own retirement. But your, uh, your statement is completely right and true. Kim? Curtis says, on a recent show, you took a question from a woman about refinancing. You suggested that she look at a 15-year loan. You should have also let her know about the $500 per $100,000 borrowed refinance fee that will be coming up on December 1st. I know you were probably under pressure for time and you just neglected to mention it. However, I believe it's something that you should be including in all of your refinancing discussions right now. Thank you. And we got burned on this uh, just a while back because that fee originally was going into effect. Oh, my goodness. Was it October 1st and then delayed? I'm trying to remember. I think it was. Um, And so... The, there was a lot of protest about it, and it was delayed till after the election um, for obvious reasons. And so uh, I don't know if it's definitely going into effect December 1st, but you are right it, that refinances, if it does go through, are going to be significantly more expensive because of this new government junk fee that was designed to deal with the possibility that there would be an increasing number of foreclosures that the mathematical models had not expected because of coronavirus-related financial difficulties. So thank you for pointing it out. Joel? This one comes from Jeff. He says there was a, a person recently who emailed about surprise balance billing on his surgery despite supposedly having obtained preclearance for coverage. You recommended that the person go to state legislators and media to complain about the hospital and provider. But what about the insurance company? As a phys- physician, I can tell you that insurers may obfus- obfuscate a patient's coverage, insurance subgroup or type, or give us wrong information when we check for coverage. And while the idea of laws against surprise balance billing, which you were helping advise, is laudable, there have been some versions in some states where it would allow insurers to artificially depress reimbursement. The example I remember is where out-of-network providers have to accept the median in-network rate. If that goes into effect, insurers are actually incentivized to lower the median reimbursement rate and to kick providers out of network. Some physicians may be greedy sometimes, but from what I've seen, all third-party payers are greedy all the time. I know you've not been the biggest fan of doctors and doctor's offices and hospitals with billing, and also know you'd rather us go back to a catastrophic indemnity coverage, but I think you give insurance companies much more of a free pass than you do healthcare providers, and that really stinks. 
Thank you very much for that post. And the reality is the problems with the cost curve in medicine are not with doctors. Doctor charges and reimbursements generally have not grown beyond the rate of economic growth or inflation. All the problems on the cost side have been hospital-based. At the same time, doctors have been in a very inferior negotiating position with insurance companies. And so it has been a circumstance where the insurers in states that are outlawing the balance billing, the surprise billing, have generally taken it out of the hide of doctors' reimbursements and doctors being the weaker party in the negotiations have generally lost. That's why there's been a stalemate in so many states about dealing with this. And so it's going to require state legislative bodies or ultimately the Congress, when the Congress can learn to do things again, to come up with a method of negotiating these reimbursements to doctors that don't leave the patient in a lurch. Kim? Angel says, this is more of a disappointment than anything else, but recently Clark told us about a NHTSA app for recall notices on vehicles. I added it to my phone, and coincidentally, the next day, I received a recall notice in the mail and in an email. The app has continued to indicate that I currently have no recalls. So, (laughs) I am really sorry that the Safer Car app is not being safe for you, that you are alerted to and aware of a recall and that what I recommended by downloading the app has led you to a clear reading that the app is not functioning as it should. We'll check it out and see what we can figure out. And thank you for that. And I hope you got the recall work done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Donna is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Donna. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. So, Donna, you sold your house and you scored a lot of money. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know the best thing to do with it. Well, paint a picture for me. What's What's your scoop? Where would that money be helpful for you? Well, I just wanted to grow because I'm I'm going to be working for. I want to work until I'm seventy and I'm sixty three, and I just wanted to work from, work it for me the best I can. Um, and I don't know exactly where to put that money so that it'll grow as much as it can. It's not a lot of time, seven years, but I wouldn't use it all at once anyway. It would just, you know, use it bits and pieces. Well, I don't know what to do with it, and I don't want to just put it in a bank account. And are you going to take the proceeds, any of the proceeds from the sale of the home and buy another one? Are you going to be a renter, or what are you thinking about that? 
I'm thinking I want to be a renter for now. I've, I've kind of, I mean, I've owned homes since I was 20. And I don't, <laughs> I'm kind of, kind of tired of the... I Let somebody else deal life. with the maintenance, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So what are you doing to save for retirement? Like, do you have a 401k where you work or what do you... Um, I have, I've done all my own mostly. And I have um, like Roth and I have IRA um, with Fidelity. So I have that. Um, it's not, it doesn't add up to a lot because basically I've taken care of my family almost myself and I have four children and then I had a terminal mom I had to take care of. So, um, I didn't get to put away a lot for myself. Um, cause I just wanted to make sure everyone else was okay. And you so, know something, yeah. this, this is typical. Women live longer than men mm-hmm. and women tend to sacrifice their own, uh, retirement money, taking care of family. And so men who live a shorter lifespan end up more comfortable financially in retirement than women do. Plus, men historically earn more on a job than women. So your situation is very, very common and also concerning. But you've got this opportunity here with this $200,000. So I'm going to make a couple of suggestions to you. Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. First thing is every year between now and age 70, so you got, um, depending on how you count it, seven years or eight years, I want you to contribute the max you're allowed to to a Roth at your age, which is seven grand a year. So let's say seven years, you'll get uh, 49,000 more into a Roth. But that will still only take a fourth of the money you got from the proceeds of the sale of the home. So... As far as the rest of it, I would really like you to sit down with a fee-only financial planner and come up with a plan for your overall picture. And have you ever heard me mention Garrett Planning Network? Um, no, I don't believe so. So Garrett Planning is kind of like going to a CPA for uh, accounting or tax advice or going to a lawyer where you're paying them by the hour. With a Garrett person, you pay them to look at your situation, come up with a plan for you, and then you go implement the plan they come up with. So you don't have to worry. They're telling you stuff that they're going to try to make money from. They'll uh, look at your overall picture, what you got, what your goals are, what level of risk you're willing to take. And it'll be way beyond just well, you got this much money, put it here, here, and here. It'll be looking at your overall picture and how you plan for the future you want to have once you're 70. So if it were me, I'd look up GarrettPlanningNetwork.com, make an uh, appointment with someone near you, talk to him. Well, first talk to him, see if you like, if y'all gel well, and then pay him for hourly advice because this is a one-time thing having $200,000 come into your life, I want you to make it as efficient for your future as you possibly can. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.